Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and folks, on today's show, we are talking about economic lessons from literature, The Verger and Harrison Bergeron. Hey, Ron. Hey, Ed. How's it going? Good. Exciting week, you know, yeah. back from uh, Thanksgiving break. And All is well. well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, congratulations on making accounting today's top 100 back at you, my friend back at you. You, you, what are you number eight, seven, something like that? Yeah, eight. At least I beat out the president this time. Yes. That's all that's I can true. say. That's true. I Donald noticed. Trump had, had you beat last, uh, last. He did, but like cycle, one vote, so. I think. So I, I got Biden by three votes. So yeah. I feel do you know how many times this is, was this for, for you? You know, my dad asked me that and I had to go look, um, I believe this is my 16th year. Wow. I couldn't remember mine either. Somebody asked me that as well. He asked me about yours too. And I, I said, I have no idea. Yeah, what, I think when they, seven, eight, it might be as many as 10, honestly, but I think yeah, it's more I, like seven or eight. I can't remember. Yeah. The only reason I know is because, you know, uh, it's in my bio. Oh, right. Which I update. So that's, but yeah, otherwise I would have forgot. Yep. But, so we got exciting stuff to talk about today, Ron. This is we, this is a, a, a kind of a, a theme of shows, really, that we've done over the number of years, where we're, we're taking literature and stuff and applying our economics lessons to them. The first one I, I think we did was ec- economics lessons from a Christmas Carol, right? And we've we've talked about some other works of literature and how they they figure in economically. But this is the first time we're doing some short stories, right? And and I and I mentioned a book on one of the book shows. Uh, one of my favorite books was how you how literature can teach us economics, economic sense. And I forget the name of the book, but it's a fantastic book. And they did the same thing. They went through literature and kind of said the, these are the lessons, not just for economics, but for life. And you know, our line that if you want knowledge, read nonfiction. But if you want wisdom, read literature. Mm-hmm. And boy, the stories Ed, you picked you picked the the uh, Harrison Bergeron one. And can I just say that that just freaks me out? This story just gives me the creeps all the as way well through. As well it should. As well Man, it should. It just, it's, it just rattles your cage. Yeah. It might yeah, be well, one of the most profound things that Vonnegut has written. Yep. Yep. Let's talk, talk a little bit about Vonnegut first, though, before we get into the Harrison Bergeron story. Uh, but he, I, you know, I would in in doing the research for this. He he was born in 1922, died in in 2007, um, in Indianapolis. Was attended Cornell University, but withdrew and enlisted in the army and was captured by the Germans. Yes, he was a prisoner of the bulge. Yeah. yeah, when Dresden and, was being bombed, he was a prisoner. Yep, and that that turned out to be his influence for his first real breakthrough book. He had written a couple of books that were critically acclaimed, but didn't really make it from a uh, you know mass uh, mass market his, uh, perspective. But then he wrote in 1969, Slaughterhouse Five, and I guess 
in combination with what was going on at the Vietnam War, that one really took off. And then, of course, people then started to read his previous works that go back, I think, back to 1952. Um, but Slaughterhouse-Five went to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. And, uh, you know, then he started giving speeches and was very well known as the, quote, one of these voice of his generation type writers, um, really, really writing from from uh, this from a satirical perspective, but also gallows humor and to some degree, even some science fiction. And that's that's where I think Harrison Bergeron kind of checks all of those boxes, which I think makes it fascinating because it's only a four page story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, just some other points on him, because I just did just coincidentally, Kyle Smith just wrote a review. There's a new documentary out on Kurt Vonnegrad called called Unstuck in Time. And boy, Kyle just tears this thing apart. He says, you discover Kurt when you're 15 or 16, when you realize all adults are numbskulls and the solutions to the world's problems lie in whimsical, simple slogans. Peace is better than war. Love beats hate. Love beats hate. Corporations are destroying souls. Money is evil. Um, he just goes on to talk about, you know, how ridiculous some of his writings were. Um, he lived in Cape Cod briefly. He ran a Saab dealership. Um, and like you said, the boomer anti-war novel Slaughterhouse-Five. Um, and at the 60th anniversary high school graduation, he speaks to a classmate who was severely wounded in the Pacific War. And he asks him, have you ever considered suing your government? They had no right to do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he he ends this really uh, – he didn't like the documentary. Um, and he, he ends it by saying the guy who did the documentary – said Vonnegut's cameo in Rodney Dangerfield's 86 movie, Back to School, mm -hmm. in some ways, the most memorable thing he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> and Kyle Smith ends the review by saying, ouch. <laughs> so he, so th this, this Kyle Smith didn't like the, the documentary, nor did he like Vonnegut. So no, he th thinks okay. Vonnegut is totally overrated, totally simplistic and appeals to the 15, 16 year olds who think they're the older generation are idiots. Right. Right. And I have to say, I, I'm, I, I've never read a lot. I think I read one book of his. It didn't impress me. Mm -hmm. um, his cameo on back to school is hysterical. I mean, <laughs> I do remember that really well. Right. Right. Uh, but, but I, you know, we came, I came across this short story. I th think it was a reason podcast that first turned me on to this, as I recall, in the summer this this past summer. But mm -hmm. I'm just gonna gonna read. We're not gonna read the whole story to you, although. Oh we no, could. we want it's people really to read it. Long, long, yeah. yeah, it's not, not that long, but I do want to read the opening paragraph, which I, I think sets the great tone. He says. Uh, the year was 2081, so 60 years from now, Ron. This is, you know, we got the no. countdown is on. All right. Uh, and everybody was finally equal. They weren't only equal before God and the law. They were equal in every way. Nobody was smarter than anybody else. Nobody was better looking than anybody else. Nobody was stronger or quicker than anybody else. This equality was due to the 211th, 212th, and 213th amendments to the Constitution and to the unceasing vigilance of the agents of the United States Handicapper General. H.G. Men. H.G. Men. <laughs> yes, yes. I know. And, and, and then he goes on to say that, you know, he's talking about this couple, George and Hazel, right, Bergeron, and their 14-year-old son was basically taken away. 
mm-hmm. arrested or whatever, and they're sitting there watching TV and it just, you know, everybody's got mental handicaps because, it, you know, if you're beautiful, you have to wear an ugly mask. And if you're intelligent, they send sounds into your ear through a transmitter and it you know, disturbs your, your thinking ability. And it's just, it, it, it just gets absurd, but it's really brings home a great point. This reminds me of Bastiat, by the way. Yeah, a little Taking bit. Taking something to the extreme. Yes, yes. And uh, you had to wear, like, I think both um, Harrison Bergeron and his father were were l- larger in stature and therefore had to wear, wear buckshot around their neck that was was padlocked in. Because, you know, they didn't, didn't want, you couldn't get any, everybody wouldn't be given an unfair advantage. Um and so this is the sentence. They were really no better than anybody else could have been anyway. They were burdened with sash weights, bags of buckshot, and their faces were masked so that no one, seeing a free or graceful gesture or pretty face, would feel something the cat drug in. Feel like something the cat drug in. So, uh, and then what, what I think is is interesting is you know he they they buy into this like George and Hazel have this conversation. He said, and and she says to him, well, why, you know, why don't you take some of the buckshot out? I, it's okay if you're less equal than me here at home. And and he says, well, what do you think would happen if everybody did that? He says, well, the you know the, the, then the people would start cheating the laws and it would be the end of society, you know? <laughs> right, right. Right. So, and I guess George particularly, he's one of the ones that they, they send, you know, sounds to his ears every 20 seconds or so so that he can't think straight. And then what happens, Ron? Well, they're watching this show on TV, and it's a ballerinas, and they're all they're all the same. The pretty ones have to wear the the, the mask, so you can't see their face, and nobody dances better than anybody else. There's no standouts. They're all handicapped in whatever way they need to be, so everybody can be equal. Yep. And it's just. You know, and that's just really creepy because when you think about art, when you think about sports, you you think about excellence, you think about achievement, you think about somebody standing out above the crowd, you know, having a great game or whatever, you know, in the zone, whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this is just freaky. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's the scene. And it, it, and then a news bulletin breaks. And I, I, I love love this is the <laughs> They uh they the, they give the news bulletin to the newsreader was and it was uh, interrupted, um and the announcer like all announcers had a serious speech impediment. <laughs> so after about a half a minute in a state of high excitement, the announcer tried to say, "Ladies and gentlemen," he finally gave up and handed the bulletin to a ballerina. <laughs> <to read. laughs> and it turns out that Harrison Bergeron had uh, escaped from the authorities. This is the son of the son of of uh, George and Hazel. George and Hazel, and breaks into the studio and announces that he is the emperor. He is ta- he is now he has decided that he is the emperor and is taking over because he has broken free of all of his weights that have held him down, and he decides that he is now going to select an empress, and he of course selects the ballerina who had done the news reading and takes her mask off and she's stunningly beautiful. Um, and you know, they, they talk about how they're, they're going to, you know, change things. And then there was, they do this beautiful dance and it was the most amazing thing that anybody had ever seen on TV. And then here's the sentence. And then Diana Moon Glampers, the handicapper general (laughs) 
came into the studio with a double barrel gauge shot, 10, 10 gauge shotgun. She fired twice and the emperor and empress were dead before they hit the floor. Um, horrifying, but there's a chuckle as you're reading it. <laughs> there, There is. I, I mean, one of the things, that I, the other line that I really love is right before that, where they mm -hmm. talk about when they're doing this dance and of course they have the musicians and of course the musicians were also de-handicapped if you will so they could start playing more beautifully and it, the they talk about the studio ceiling was 30 feet high but each lap brought the dancers nearer to it mm -hmm. and it just i think what he's trying to say there is just human flourishing right mm -hmm. if if we let our energies and talents take us we can there there's no limit to the heights we can go yep yeah, no, it's 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 a really great story. So let let's let's take our break here, Ron. Then we'll come back and we'll do a little bit of analysis in this before we move into the next story. So want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the place to find us is the Soul of Enterprise, where we post show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. Please note that our show is now sponsored by File. File is uh, online or uh, in the cloud expense reporting. You can find them at file, F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com. And also our Patreon channel is sponsored this today, this week by Mark Gandy of CFO Bookshelf. Uh, you can go to CFOBookshelf.com and listen to his podcast. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Ron, let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor, File, F-Y-L-E. We saw a demo of this thing, and it's really awesome. It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating. Yeah, and of course, it integrates with all of the accounting software out there. Yeah, and they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system, so you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports. Yep, so check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Now. 
Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download Oh, oh my, my fraud. fraud. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about lessons from literature. And Ed, you described this harrowing scene that they see on TV of their son being shot. And I guess George had gone into the kitchen to get a beer and he comes back and he sees Hazel crying, his wife crying. And he asks her, what's that about? And she said, oh, something really sad on television. And he said, what was it? Because I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> and then they just kind of go on and it's, it's, it's a great story. It's really worth reading. Um, It'll give you the creeps. It did me, but I, I, I still really like it. So this, the source on this, I, re, I remember on it was uh, uh, something that the folks at Reason.com talked about, but it was in relation to a policy that New York City has put in place regarding admissions to their gifted and talented program. Oh, right. It, it, in which, especially for like in, in the arts where they're, you know, going going to weigh every all, all things equally and and want you know that the ballerinas don't have to necessarily be the best ballerinas to get into things. just like because we need a quality of outcome for everyone it seems i you know this this for me reading this i mean obviously it's it's more than just economics but the whole idea of equality i mean i think the damage done in pursuit of equality surpasses the damage that's done by inequality and by again, orders of magnitude i i, I agree but you know de de depends i think the problem is is that the nebulous nature of the word equality i mean because you can say equality i'm sure i'm for equality. who is against equality but equality of what of of outcome or equality of opportunity and right. if you're talking about equality of opportunity then sure all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with rights. Okay, so yes, but that doesn't mean equality of out, outcome. And I think when I hear people talk about equity and the use of that word equity, it, it what the, I, they, they mean is equality of outcome, that the outcomes should be the same. And I talked to, to some folks about this, and they, they, they try to hedge a little bit, and they say, well, no, that's not what we mean. What we mean is we mean... Uh, all people reaching their potential right okay well what's their potential who determines their potential well they do so if my potential if i believe that my potential is for me to be a major league baseball player i should but automatically be in the ma a major league baseball player is that how that works because i that's what i believe is you I, know it, it once you start to push on this you're like you can't where, where does it end yeah i'm even going to push back on equality of opportunity and I think this story illustrates that beautifully. Like you say, you can't be an MLB player anymore than I could be a PGA golfer. Um, I, I, can't, I can't be a ballerina. 
-hmm. I can't play in the NBA. I mean, we don't have equality of opportunity just because of our natural gifts. Could never be a great musician, right? I, mm -hmm. I don't have some of the natural. Now, I, I realize there's the nurture nature debate, but you know, it. But it's that diversity in our in our gifts and our in our imperfections and weaknesses that makes us stronger as a society, mm -hmm. as a civilization. I mean, I, I love what Gilder says. He says the envy of excellence leads to perdition. The love of it leads to the light. And that's what we're talking about here. Excellence, whether you're a ballerina, musician, and they tried to equalize everybody and nobody, nobody wants to live that way. Mm -hmm. You want to watch Tiger Woods. You want to watch great sports. You, you know, you, you want to see a great acting. You want to see beautiful people. That's just human. It's part of the human experience. Well, and that's one of the challenges I think with the whole diversity, equity, and inclusion that, that, um, movement is and when I start to push this on people, I, they, you know, they, they're not happy about it. But diversity and equity, there's a, there's a little bit of a contradiction there. Like Big we're, time. I mean, we're, we're, we're embrace our diversity, but, but, but everyone should have the same outcome. Right. Then we, then we all need to be equal. And, <laughs> and, and that's just not going to happen. And, you know, like Thomas Sowell says, he, um, he said, but the other problem is you might not, you, you you know, he said, it would have never occurred to me to be a ballerina. It's something I never wanted to do. Right. And that, that enters into it too. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that mean when they talk about equity and DEI, um, that mean of the three kids, you know, trying to look over the fence to see the ball mm -hmm. game right. and one short, one's tall, has no problem looking over. And the short one's obviously got a milk carton or something he's standing on. And that's, well, okay. Who supplies the milk carton? Right. Or, or does the tall guy have to put the short guy on his shoulders so he can see over? Mm -hmm. You know, how much of the burden lies on the short guy to, to improvise and, and find a way to look over the fence? Mm -hmm. Yeah, or cut a hole in it or do what, do what you've got to do that works for you. I don't know. Maybe maybe I don't understand this, but, but I, I just find it a bundle of contradictions and it's, it's potentially concerning to me. But, you know, well. I'm open to to it to the topic being explored and I want to be convinced otherwise I just don't know if I will be. <laughs> no, I don't think you will because I think this is I think this is new wine in old bottles. You know, mm. I, this is the class debate, this is the, the all equality, egalitarianism, socialism, whatever you want to call it and it doesn't work. It goes against human nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just does. It goes against the uh the, the, the soul's idea that there's no solutions. There's, there's, uh, there's only trade-offs. He said, you know, um, <laughs> I love what he says here. He says, attempting to fully meet these needs only deprives other people of other things so that a society pursuing such a policy is like a dog chasing its tail. Yeah. I, and, and you see that in the story, you have to get more and more ridiculous to make everybody equal. Yep. <laughs> You have to yep. put more weight on the bigger guys and you have to, you know, put more sounds in their head if they're more intelligent to disrupt their thing. It just, it, it you, you create more problems as you try and solve other ones. Agreed. Well, our other story is called The Verger by William Somerset Mom. And just some quick background on him and we'll probably not get to the story much until the, the next segment, but... Uh, he he was born in 1874 in Paris, 
and uh, also died in France in in 1965. Will live live to be 91 years old. Sign me up, Ron. I'll take yeah, that one. No you know? <laughs> But he uh, it was an English playwright um, and wrote many popular things in his his day. He was well recognized. Uh, and I, I, before I don't want to say too much more about his background. I don't know if, you, if there's anything you want to add, but he is also part of the lyric of one of my favorite songs from the Broadway musical Chess, in which uh, it, and and you probably know the song too. One night in Bangkok. Oh yeah, right. Which was it was it was from and that's Murray Head and he he uh, he he sings that that song and he doesn't sing this lyric. It's kind of the background chorus, but there the 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 line is. Uh, summer set up in a Somerset Mon Suite, <laughs> <laughs> and I just <laughs> so. Well, well, the guy was prolific. I'll give him that. He wrote tons of novels and short mm-hmm. stories, and I even think some plays. And um, just just amazingly prolific. If you look him up on Amazon, you'll see it. Just a ton of stuff come down. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I got this, Ed, from listening to an old Econ Talk episode. As you know, I'm, I, I went back to episode one of Russ Roberts' Econ Talk, and I've been making mm-hmm. my way through them. I'm up to like 310 or something. But they did an episode. Uh, he had Michael Munger on, one of our favorites, two-time guest here. And they talked about this story, The Verger. And it was just fantastic and i thought oh, we need to talk about this this is going to be great and mm-hmm. that's that's when i gave it to you and said this is this is worth doing a show over so let's yeah. uh set it up for us well let's for, first i think the the best thing to do would be to, to t- say what a verger is cuz quite frankly i had to look it up uh and a a verger is an official in the church who acts as a caretaker and attendant. And then there's also uh, an officer who carries the rod before a bishop or dean as a symbol of office. I think right. th- this this one is in the first sense. So just an official who acts as a caretaker and attendant at the church. And that's that's what this guy is in in the story, the, the, the verger. Um, his name is Edward Albert Foreman, which is interesting because Edward, or I'm, I'm sorry, Albert, Albert Edward, right. Ed, Albert Edward, because the other way, Edward Albert, I believe, would have been the king <laughs> at mm, the time mm. that this story was written. So I think there's a play on right. on the on the notion of the and foreman, of course, like it, to the four, the fir- first the, man in 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 the in the front, um, and even the description of of uh, Albert Edward Foreman. Uh, he talks about him being re- very regal and duke-like, and he said he he could have played a duke on TV had two TV existed. Uh, the, you know, he, he, he talk, talks about him having this presence about him, um, and I thought that that was an interesting dichotomy. But um, so he's he's this in this the, this church, and then so the what happens is is the vicar that was the longtime vicar of the church leaves, and there's a new vicar comes in, and the vicar finds out that Albert Edward can't read right. because he never learned how to read. Uh, and this, this causes some, some challenges for the vicar. Uh, but I, I think we'll leave it there, Ron, and leave people hanging on it. And we'll come back and talk about the rest of the story after our next break. So I want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending that email to asktsoe at verisage.com. 
Show notes are available at The Soul of Enterprise. Uh, we did, I mentioned earlier in our Patreon channel where you can sign up and be a part of our Patreon community. We do have uh, the, the show available in commercial-free format as well as our bonus episodes that we record right after the show. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. Ron, let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor, File, F-Y-L-E. We saw a demo of this thing, and it's really awesome. It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating. Yeah, and of course, it integrates with all of the accounting software out there. Yeah, and they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system, so you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports. Yep, so check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise welcome back everybody we're talking about lessons from literature and we're talking about somersault mom's short story the verger and ed this albert edward worked as a verger for 16 years in this church. Mm-hmm. And then finally one day the vicar calls him in and they have uh, two church, he's got two church wardens there who've mm-hmm. been there almost as long as, as verger. And they say to him, you know, we've learned something rather unpleasant. Um, we understand that you can't read or write. We can't have that in a church like this. And, you know, what if there's an emergency? And of course, this guy's been carrying out his duties for 16 years flawlessly. Impeccable character. Nobody's got to complain about his work. No, he's, you know, the congregants love him, uh, all this stuff. And they say, uh, you know, you need to learn how to read. And he said, uh, I, I can't. He said, you know, I, I, I tried to when I went into the service. The cook tried to teach me to read, and I, I can't do it. And I just don't seem to have a knack for it. And um, they said, well, then 
you know, if you can't read, then we're going to have to let you go. And they discharge him from the church because he can't read. And all of that takes place is like through the first four pages of the story. And you're like, okay, so where, where is this going? <laughs> and then, <laughs> the, the, then there's only like three and a half pages left and it completely changes and flips around. So tell us what happens next, Ron. Yeah. He, he leaves the church and he doesn't go home the normal way that he does. He, he's walking on this very long street and he feels, and, and it, usually he abstains from drinking or smoking, except rarely he likes a beer every now and then, and he, every now and then he likes a cigarette. And he feels like a cigarette because he's, he's very sad about this. This, this is uh, you know kind of devastating. And he's walking on this very long street and he notices there's not a tobacconist anywhere on this street. And so he's thinking about it and he goes home and he thinks about it and he stews on it some more. And then uh, he goes out and he finds a little shop that he can let and he opens up a tobacconist store and a newsstand on the street and it's thriving, absolutely thriving. And he says, well, if I can run one, maybe I can run another one. And so he opens up another one. He, he walks around another, you know, other streets and finds where there's not a tobacconist and opens up another one sooner uh what is it within ten years. Amount of time. Ten, ten, 10 years but, he says in the course of 10 years he'd acquired no less than 10 shops and was making money hand over fist he went around all of them by himself every monday collecting the week's takings and took them to the bank <laughs> so he was <laughs> that's all he did <laughs> <laughs> and and then one day he's at the bank and he takes his money into the bank uh and the banker says um mr foreman I wanted to have a talk to you about the money you've got on deposit. Do you know how much it is? And he says, well, not within a pound or two, sir, but I've got a pretty rough idea. <laughs> and the banker says, it's over 30,000 pounds. Now, Ed, I didn't look because the story was written in like in the 20s, right. the late 20s, but um, that's a ton of money. Yeah, that's got to be I, a, a million dollars or more in today's Or more. Standards. I mean, yeah. it's 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 almost 60 grand today, 30,000 right. pounds, right? So. Right. Um, and he said, well, you know, that's a very large sum to have on deposit and you, you should, you'll do better if you invest it. And he says, well, I wouldn't want to take the risk. I know it's safe in the bank. He said, look, you, you don't have to take the risk. We'll handle everything for you. And he says, but he says, all you have to do is come in and sign the papers. And he says, but I don't know what I'd be signing. And the banker says, well, I suppose you can read. And he says, well, sir, that's just it. I can't. I know it sounds funny, but there it is. I can't read or write, only me name. And I learned that only when I went into business. The manager was of the bank, got, he was so surprised, he jumped out of his chair and he said, that's the most extraordinary thing I've ever heard. He said, what do you mean? You built up these important businesses, amassed a fortune, and you can't read or write? Good, good God, man. What would you be now if you had been able to? <laughs> And he says, well, I can tell you that, sir, said Mr. Foreman, a little smile on his still aristocratic features. I'd be verger at St. Peter's, <laughs> Nivelle Square. It's really actually a joke. It's, it's, it's a it's great a... story. It's a great story I, on so many different levels. Um, mm -hmm. I think this is one of the reason elites or aristocrats, whatever you want, you know, whatever you want to call them, don't like capitalism because a guy like this who mm. can't even read or write can rise up and uh, create a, a fortune 
But of course, he did it by serving others. Correct. Right? The poverty cure comes from production, not consumption. He wasn't consuming. This is classic Deirdre Mikowski. You know, mm -hmm. let ordinary people have a go. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, uh, Jonah talks about this, but uh, I forget who said it, but an American is an Englishman who wants to be left alone, <laughs> right? Um, and the only, and, and then I'll get your take on this, but I, I, I think nothing sums up this story better than what George Gilder wrote. I think this comes out of Wealth and Poverty. Capitalism offers nothing but frustrations and rebuffs to those who wish because of claimed superiority or intelligence, birth, credentials, or ideals, to get without giving, to take without risking, to profit without sacrifice, to be exalted without humbling themselves, to understand others and meet their needs. And that is so true, and this is why. Because mm -hmm. this guy, he can't read or write, but yet he can amass a fortune by serving others. And, and by the way, Greg was kind enough to, to look that up for us. It, it would be in, in 2018, it would have been one, uh, 1, 1,308,000 or 309,000 pounds. Excellent. Wow. So, so a couple which, of million. Yeah. Closer to 2 million, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. More, more or less. So, but yeah, but, but the, just, just the setup of this story, the, the, the way, I mean, it, I, I love how quickly it progresses because it, it, it lures you in through this, it's the, the long story about the, the verger. And it's, you know, not until the second or third page that the, 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 the conflict happens, which of course is the fact that he can't read. Um, and then there's still another page or two of, of all of this, the, the, this goings on and him saying, well, I'm not going to learn. And so you might as well just fire me now. Uh, and so now the church rejects him because of his inability to read. And of course the, the, but the, but the, this, the, his insight and it happens in a flash is just two or three sentences and then the, his description of the 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 expansion of his business is one paragraph that's all it is and then then there's the story of then the the coda which is at the bank where the same same story bring him in what do you mean you can't read <laughs> so the he's 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 taken to task first by the church and then by the, by the the financiers who are saying this is this is impossible <laughs> you can, we right. we, can, we can't have this of course, it's it's like the old story about the. And I know this is apocryphal, but you know the bumblebee can't fly according to the laws of aerodynamics. Just nobody told the bumblebee that, right? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it, it's a great uh, application of you know Hayek's idea of dispersed knowledge of time and place. Right mm -hmm. here, he is wandering these streets, noticing that there's not a tobacconist shop. You know, he's seeking opportunity, uh, and like Gilder says, you know he. Uh, he wrote knowledge and power at the heart of capitalism is the unification of knowledge and power because knowledge is dispersed power must be as well it's a good thing that this guy had the power the freedom to to open up these stores to enter into these transactions with various people to let the space and buy supplies and all of that for his shops mm -hmm. and that's what we mean by the the you know the local use of knowledge that is just as scientific that knowledge is just as scientific as physics or any other scientific endeavor it's just that it's dispersed yeah and and the creativity and innovation that that is is on display here right his 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 noticing of, of the, the fact of the shop I, I do like the the line let me see if i can quick find it about because i that he, he's about him not drinking he this is the way the way it's written. I think it's a I think it's a little bit more um, 
nuanced than than mm. originally portrayed. Albert Edward was a non-smoker and total abstainer, yeah. but with a certain latitude. Dude, but yeah, yeah, true, true. <laughs> that he liked a glass of beer with his dinner, and when he got tired, he enjoyed a cigarette. <laughs> so, <laughs> which... <clears throat> Um, and, and so he, and he knew about this because he even says it, this mentions a brand. He he wants to, he sets out for some golden flake, and that's and and I I love this notion of he says that's strange when he can't find the the tobacconist. That's that's strange. There's the anomaly. There's the right. as Gilder would put it. There's the there's the the signal in all all of the noise. There's the surprise. The, there's the surprise. There's the thing that 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 catches us. It's like that that's that's different. This is not what you would would expect. You know, so it, 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 if, if, if we if we could plan it, it we would socialism would work. Right. Bergeron right. would be right. That's right. <laughs> right. No, I just I it, uh, comparing these two stories and I know they're different, but I have to say this one is so much. I think it's better written. I think it's pace and tempo it is. Yeah. I think he's obviously a superior writer to Vonnegut. Yeah, my, I, I would I would agree with that. Um, yeah. But what I what I what I do like is the is the contrast to it because they're 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 both in a sense coming to the same conclusion, and that is that the that the the individual um, in in the one case Bergeron who was superior seven feet tall I think it's mentioned in in the, right, in the book right. and, and a physical specimen at fourteen, you know so all all of this stuff uh, breaking through and succeeding because of his his uh, his unique ability. And at the same time, the verger, unable to read and write, yes, good looking. So there was that that aspect of it. So there was a, a compare contrast kind of thing. They were both good looking, uh, but unable to read and write, yet still had that same ability to break through uh, because of his his intelligence. Uh, not reading and writing, but intelligence, as you said, the tacit knowledge of local time and space. And and free markets allow allow that to happen. That's what's I think so glorious about them. You know, Gilder's got another great line. He says, "Nothing is more deadly to achievement than the belief that effort will not be rewarded. That the world is a bleak and discriminatory place in which only the predatory and the specially preferred can get ahead." And I think that's so true. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to believe that if you know you you put yourself out there, if you can, if you serve others well, it doesn't matter your station, it doesn't matter your name, where you were born, what family line, lineage you come from. None of that matters in a free market. It's your ability to serve others. Yep, absolutely. So, well, Ed, unfortunately, we're up against our next break, and folks, we'd like to remind you if you want to get a hold of me or Ed, send us an email to. Ask TSOE at Verisage.com. Check out our Patreon show, as Ed mentioned, at patreon.com slash TSOE. That show is sponsored by 90 Minds. More minds are better than one. Check them out at 90minds.com. And now we want to hear a word from our sponsors. There may be even a new one in there. And Sage. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create 
package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Ron, let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor, File, F-Y-L-E. We saw a demo of this thing, and it's really awesome. It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating. Yeah, and of course, it integrates with all of the accounting software out there. Yeah, and they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system, so you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports. Yep, so check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download Oh, oh my, my fraud. fraud. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about lessons from literature, and Ed, that was fun. Those are two great stories, folks. We highly recommend you go out and read them. They're quick, but they really make you think. Yeah, no, and uh, definitely we will we, we we posted them in the in the show preview, but we'll make sure that the links are also in the show notes as well. Excellent. Well, Ed, it's so rare that we get to read feedback from our listeners because we have so many guests on the show, and we yeah. never like to take take time out of our guests. But on November 9th, we got an email from a- Axel, and he um, starts out by saying, love the podcast. He said, possible free rider topic, AI stealing jobs. Uh, he says, I hear a lot of people talk about AI will take away jobs. You guys even broached the topic briefly on podcast six years ago. I don't understand this line of thinking. And then he, he talks naturally about the agricultural, you know, to industrial revolution, how, um, you know, farmers uh, used to be 80% or whatever it was of, of the labor force. And he says, I, for one, welcome our future robotic AI overlords. I don't know what the jobs will look like in 50 years, but I would bet money that they leverage machines, AI, and other advances so that one human can produce and create far more than was possible today and seemed unfathomable 50 years ago. And it's kind of like you always say, Ed, you have future glee, not future yeah. shock, right? right? I mean, we were looking forward to this. Um, 
And of course, your other line that if your job can be automated, it probably sucks. Yeah, if your job can be, well, if your job can be replaced completely by a bot, your job sucks. Your job sucks. Yeah. Uh, and so, Axel, right on. We couldn't agree more. We have broached this topic, and and I did email him back and and gave him some of the shows where we did this. But we have discussed this with many of our guests, including George Gilder, obviously, mm-hmm. Deirdre McClowski. We asked her about this as well. I even think we asked Russ Roberts about it when we talked to him about why do we fetishize uh, manufacturing, you know, manufacturing mm-hmm. jobs. Um, and we talked to Rabbi Daniel Lappin about it mm-hmm. because I absolutely love his line that work equals worship mm-hmm. in Hebrew and that we'll always find, man will always find a way to serve their fellow man. Right. There's always plenty of work to be done. Um, but then on the pessimistic side, I had to admit, we did talk to Daniel Suskin, uh, and he um, not only did he co-author The Future of the Professions, but then his next book was The End of Work. And that is the that is the other side of this argument. He's arguing, no, AI is different this time. This is going to cause massive dislocation. We're going to need to have, we're going to need, you know, public policy to handle this, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, universal basic income or whatever. But um, I just think it, that's historically naive. I really do. I, I that's not, it, it hasn't been the history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, where's your evidence for what that's, that's going to happen in the long, in the long run in the, sh- in, and I think what people see is they see the short term and yes, there is destruction to, to, to jobs. Um, and yes, over the course of the next five or 10 years, are there, is there going to be a, probably a significant decrease in the number of available jobs, let's say in the trucking industry, because I think that's really going to be the first mass application of driverless technology, at least in between cities. You know, maybe the drivers will have to take it the last mile, you know, back the truck into a dock or something like that. But for, for the for the most part, the long haul stuff, especially the things that happen at night, you know, why why, why shouldn't it be that the, these things are not put on a road and said go? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. especially if they, if they, if 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 more and more of them can drive during the middle of the night and cause less less traffic during the day, you know that's certainly going to be a, a plus to the system. Uh, but but and that's going to cause a lot of truck tra- truckers to lose their jobs. Okay. I wish yes. that was happening now. I mean, <laughs> with the yeah. supply chain problems that we're having right. with truckers and whatnot, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's going to be a while, I think. But yeah, no doubt about it. Um, you know, I know we've read this, or I've read, talked about this uh, Thomas Babington Macaulay quote before, but he says, you know, in every age, everybody knows that up to his own time, progressive improvement has been taking place. He says, but also, but so said all who come before us with just as much apparent reason. Um, he's, he's talking about, you know, the people that like Suskin who are predicting doom and gloom because this time is different. Uh, he says, we cannot absolutely prove that those are in air who say society has reached a turning point that we have seen our best days. But so said all who came before us and with just as much apparent reason on what principle is it that with nothing but improvement behind us, we are to expect, expect nothing but that deterioration before us. That's I love that line. I, I do too. I that's just, and it sums it up. McClowski beats this point home in her work in every book she's written about the number of jobs that you know technology has destroyed but is also created at the same time and how employment's grown and and 
markets have um, absorbed, you know, women coming into the the labor market, like in the sixties and seventies. And in, I mean, in millions, it's, Mm -hmm. it's not a small number. Um, And that's happened wherever you see development around the world. We're seeing it in China now, we're seeing India, even in Africa. It's Mm -hmm. just crazy to think that there's not going to be any jobs. That's just, it just boggles my mind. And and even unlike probably for us, well, certainly you, I mean, your, your, your job that you first got out of college existed when you were in college. Right. I, I think what we're, what, what I heard is that especially for, well, even high school students, but the majority of even incoming freshmen in college, the majority of the jobs that they will get don't exist when they enter college. I, I know, and this is a, and I've read contradictory things of this from economists on both sides who I really admire. Uh, I guess it depends on how you classify New, a job, yeah. right? Did it exist 50 years ago, 100 years ago? Well, that, that that's a real tricky issue, but there's no doubt. I mean, a social, like, well, look at Greg. Who, who would have had a social media coordinator? Mm-hmm. You know, yep. when we graduated college or whatever. So I was actually thinking that as we were going going through of you know of of the, the those of us on the the call in total there's there's the the, the two of us and we have the, you know Greg who does our social stuff as well as uh, and by the way if you're on your on Patreon you can actually hear Greg because we he, he does usually join us for the bonus episode so there's even more reason to subscribe to Patreon but uh, you know the Voice America folks could, could we exa- say that our jobs existed even ten years ago well yes I guess podcasting was a thing but well, are we just radio show hosts? So that existed. So it, it, are, are we classified as new? Right. I guess is the, is is the question. Right, right. You know, those are the uh, kind of things you get into. But there's no doubt that new jobs have sprung up and and will continue to do so. And um, and and again, it has to be said that the economy is there to enhance human flourishing. It's not there to create jobs. You know, mm-hmm. if we could do everything we needed to do with one job. That would be wonderful. We'd we'd all be abundant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There'd be nothing but abundance. Yeah, yeah. And it, it is that age of abundance potentially coming. I mean, at the, at a certain point, and this is the other thing that I've heard: Bill Gates and Elon Musk. You know, they can only con- consume a certain number of calories. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I guess they get the better wine if they want, or the higher end uh, meals, but and and can eat as much many truffles as they want. But you know, it's only still a certain number of calories. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. All well, right, Ed, this was great. I, I'm I'm glad we we spent some time on these short stories. I think they're really illustrative, and uh, really enjoyed them. Yep, absolutely. So, what do you got coming up next week, Ron? Next week, we have Colin Rule, and he is the founder of Mediate.com. He also did the online dispute resolution at eBay, right? That's Yeah, that's that, correct. So this is going to be awesome to be able to talk with Colin about online dispute resolution. Yes, first came across him in the Suskin book. Excellent. So I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, that's noon Pacific. But in the meantime, please feel free to visit us at 
www.thesoulofenterprise.com.